We get so obsessed, and we should we should want to be transformed. So don't misunderstand me. But we, when it comes to our position before the Lord, we get so obsessed with how we look. But the truth is that God has only had eyes for one person, and His name is Jesus. And the, when we are in Jesus, that's what God sees. He sees us pure, spotless, free from accusation. And in fact, the Bible says that that Jesus is in God. We are in Jesus, and Jesus is in us. We are not in God. We are in Jesus. And that's really interesting because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. So you can't get to God without Jesus. There's no way. You have to be found in him. And that's the truth. He is in us. We are in him. And because we're in him, we are there by default in the Father. And so when the Father sees us, he sees Jesus. And I wanted to emphasize that last week because so many Christians misunderstand their position as a son and daughter. You're so obsessed with how you look rather than how he looks. And he has the obedient nature. He won it all for us. And on the cross, he redeemed you from the power of sin. And in Christ, there is no power in sin. You are free from sin. And the more you become united in him, not just uh, legally, but, but emotionally, uh, uh, mentally, and spiritually, the less the enemy has hold on your life. Yeah. And as you unite yourself to him, sin loses its power over your life. So you may be caught in addiction and sin today. And the greatest thing you can do is to remind yourself that you are united in Jesus Christ. In your darkest sin, God is with you. God is not afraid of your sin. Sin is not kryptonite. God is not Superman. God can go wherever sin. Where sin is, grace abounds so much more. You've got to understand that because there's a lot of sin in hell, isn't there? Would you agree? And Jesus found himself in hell. But the spirit of holiness raised Jesus from the dead. Are you getting this? So in your deepest, darkest sin, the Holy Ghost can still reach you and deliver you and transform you. You don't have to get your life right before you come to Jesus. Jesus comes to you in your sin and gets you right. So when I get caught in sin, I just declare, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That attracts God to work in my life. It's not mind over matter. It's declaring my spiritual reality. My behavior may not uh, show that. But the reality is whether I behave as a son or not, I am still a son. And as I get my identity right, my behavior will always come along with my identity. The issue is people have wrong behavior because they have wrong identity. If you see yourself as a loved, clean, pure, free son, you'll act like one. The Christian religion turns it back to front. It says get yourself right and then you'll have an identity. The, uh, grace says you have an identity, now your behavior will follow are you getting this? So we talked about on the cross, Jesus redeemed us from sin, the curse of sin, the curse of condemnation, the curse of separation was defeated at the cross. Give the Lord a hand for that. Yeah. Christ has redeemed us, Galatians 3.13 says, from the curse of the law, the curse is sin, sickness, and poverty. And you don't have to have any of those operating in your life today as a believer of Jesus Christ. Amen? 
For it says, cursed is everyone that hangs on the tree. So the curse came through a tree, man's independence at the tree that says, we want to run our own life. So every effect of the curse, whether it's sin, sickness, or poverty, is a result of what happened at the fall. Adam invited in the curse. The curse has nothing to do with God. Jesus comes to set you free from the curse. Okay? You getting that? So poverty, sickness, and sin doesn't belong in the garden before the fall. It doesn't belong in heaven, and it doesn't belong in your life. There's no poverty in heaven. The street's not made of polystyrene. They're made of gold. The gates are not made of, you know, some sort of tacky iron. They're made of pearls, and it's amazing. There's no sickness in heaven. You know, the Apostle Paul hasn't got a cold today. He's not sniffing. There's not, a, there's not a, like a demarcation zone. Free from sickness, free from sin, free from poverty. That's what Jesus did at the cross. And whenever you embrace any of those as your inheritance, you are despising the work of the cross. It cost Jesus his life to deliver you from the curse of sin, sickness, and poverty. So the work of Jesus was a work of total deliverance. He legally at the cross delivered you from the curse of sin, sickness, and poverty. That's what Jesus did at the cross. The Holy Spirit, his work as a paraclete, literally means in Aramaic to end the curse. So what Jesus did legally at the cross, Holy Spirit is here today to enforce. He is the enforcer of the covenant that Jesus won on the cross. So your body is the dwelling place of the Holy Ghost and he has a mission from God. He is on a mission to destroy every effect, sign, trace of the curse of sin, sickness and poverty. How many believe that the Holy Spirit doesn't want sin in your life? Put your hand up. Okay, that's good. So therefore, those same hands should go up when we say, does the Holy Spirit want sickness to reign in your body? We'd say, absolutely not. Does the Holy Spirit want want poverty to reign in in your life? Absolutely not. He is totally at work to bring you to the fullness of the stature of Christ. And that's what Jesus did at the cross. He laid down his life. He became as we were, broken, sinful creatures, so we could become as he is, free from sin, free from sickness, free from poverty. That's the fullness of the stature of Christ. And before Jesus returns, there's going to be whole bodies of believers, churches right around the world, free from sickness, free from sin, free from poverty. Well, could that be true? Well, that's the purpose of the cross. And I know one thing about the Holy Spirit, he's incredibly persistent. You know, I've talked about the parable of the man that's knocking on the door waiting for for bread for his friend that's coming. And uh, I've talked to you about that. It's a parable of the Holy Spirit preparing the bride for the return of the son. And he's going to keep knocking. He's going to keep persisting till the church gets out of bed and pursues its destiny. So turn now to Romans 5.12. We're going to motor through this. It says, therefore, as sin came into the world through one man. Now, remember, focus on receiving today. It doesn't say, okay, but that's what I'm saying. Therefore, as sin came into the world through one man, death came as a result of sin. 
So the curse of sickness and, and sin and poverty came into the world through Adam's disobedience. And as a result, it spread right through the world. So every single person that's born on this planet comes under the effect of sin, sickness and poverty. That's what happened at the fall. Deuteronomy 28 outlines the curse and the blessing. I want you to turn now with me to Deuteronomy 28. So the curse came in through Adam and the fall and his independence. Now Deuteronomy 28 outlines the effects of the curse. Read with me in verse 15. It says, It will come to pass that if you don't obey the Lord your God, if you don't observe carefully to do all his commandments and all his statutes, which I command you today, then all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. So you better make sure that you're obedient and you obey his voice continually. Moses says, because if you mess up just once, all these curses are going to come upon you. Yikes. Just as well Jesus fulfilled the law for us, eh? And we receive his obedient nature. Remember the gospel is the examination of Jesus and he measured up for us. Hebrews tells us this, this whole story that, that we get his obedient nature. So when you read Deuteronomy, read it from a new covenant perspective. So we've seen the effects of the curse. So we don't live under it. But I want you to understand when we read Deuteronomy 28, none of the curse applies to us because Jesus fulfilled the law completely. He was always obedient and we are found in him. So Jesus won the victory for us. We have his obedient nature within us. So the curse has no legal right. Remember Paul says in Colossians, all the handwriting and the requirements that was against us, okay, all our failings that we will, all, we will do at any time from the beginning to the end, all our sin was nailed to the cross and it was buried at the cross. And when Jesus arose, we arose with him. Everything about the cross is actually not so much about Jesus, it's about you, okay? When he died, we died. When he rose from the dead, we rose. And so none of this applies to us. Legally, we are free from the curse because Jesus buried the curse on our behalf and we have his obedient nature. So we always, by default, are obedient. Spiritually, we are legally free from accusation. The enemy can't say, see, it says in Deuteronomy 28, that if you mess up just once, the curse comes because we just point him to the obedience of Jesus. And we say, you know what? God is looking at his obedience, not mine. And this curse doesn't belong to me because it was broken at the cross. You have no authority to put sin, sickness or poverty on my life because I have been redeemed. So, you will notice in Deuteronomy 28, it's quite confusing because it says, if you do any of these things, God is going to strike you down. It says that, doesn't it? If you read Deuteronomy 28, it says the Lord will strike you and he'll cause you to be defeated. He will rebuke everything you set your hand to. And this is a problem. People read this and they think we've got this schizophrenic God that, that on one hand is healing on the other hand, he's rebuking and striking down people. Dr. Robert Young, some of you may have read his translation, the Young's translation. Has anyone read that here today? Anyone? Anyone read the Bible? 
Okay. If you go to Bible Gateway, you can read Young's translation, which is a literal translation. I recommend that you do that. He wrote a book called Hints to Bible Interpretation. And he writes about this chapter. And he says, as you read through Deuteronomy 28, what the translators failed to do is they did not understand that the verb to strike and to cause you to be defeated is a permissive, not a causative verb. In other words, it's never the decreed will of God. It is the permissive will. And you go, well, that's the semantics. No, it's not. It's very important. God is not saying, you do something wrong, I'm going to get you. He's saying, if you're disobedient, you open up your life for the enemy to take you. This is the cause and the effect. God never struck Adam. God never struck Eve. Their disobedience opened the doorway. That's what he's saying here. And the wonderful thing is in the new covenant, it doesn't apply to us at all. But in the old covenant, it wasn't God striking people down. And that's really important because we need to know the nature of God is always good. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today and forever. God has never been a God that has struck people, cursed people, put people to death. That's not his nature. What happens is man's disobedience allowed the door open for the enemy to come in. And the enemy is the one that kills steals and destroys. So as, as were that God removed his hand of protection in the old covenant and the enemy could come and do what he likes. But here's the great thing in the new covenant. God says, I will never allow anyone to snatch you from my hand. I will never, ever leave you or forsake you. Amen. He is our permanent covering. Amen. Does that excite anybody? Yeah. Let's be clear. The devil and God have never swapped jobs. Jesus, 2,000 years ago, was healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons, and he's doing it today. That's his nature. So Deuteronomy 28, there are 15 curses upon children and material prosperity. There are 30 curses upon, that release sickness, cap, uh, captivity, failure of business, and poverty. In verse 28 of Deuteronomy 28, it says that the curse of madness Mental disease, emotional pain. See, all these things are under the curse. Madness, all right? Torment in your mind, emotional pain, confusion of your heart, panic attacks, anxiety. This is all part of the curse that Jesus redeemed you from. Verse 29, you will not prosper. You will be oppressed and plundered. Every time the enemy comes against you and plunders your bank account, you lose things, things are stolen, your car breaks down, that is part of the curse. I lay my hands on, the, on my cars and I say, you will run and not grow weary. You will speed and you will not faint. My mother used to say to me that if I exceeded the speed limit, the angels jumped out, but I don't believe that's true. He will never leave me or forsake me. Verse 32, your sons and daughters will be given to other people. So in other words, your children will be more influenced by external sources than you. It's part of the curse. Do you understand that? The curse is that the enemy comes and steals our children, their minds, their affections, their loyalties. It's the curse. And it's not going to happen in my house. It's not going to happen in your house. Whenever the enemy touches your children, 
take your stand. Men and women, fathers and mothers say, not on my turf. See, the enemy is a liar, he's a bully, he's a deceiver. Whether it's sin, sickness, poverty, whatever aspect of the curse, he is a liar, he's a stealer. Jesus is the healer, the devil is the stealer. Verse 60 says, every sickness and plague, just in case some of them aren't listed here, but he says, every sickness and plague, and there'll be new ones that will come along, things that we haven't discovered, every sickness and plague, which is not written down here, the Lord will bring upon you, or literally, Young says, he will allow these things to come upon you. Verse 65 to 67, there'll be fear in your heart and you won't be able to sleep at night. Sleepless nights. Fear and anxiety, worrying about tomorrow. It's all part of the curse. And verse 68, here's the clincher. And there you will be offered for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves, but nobody will buy you. The ultimate insult. You know, rabies and a bung leg and half your hair hanging out, carrying distemper and all sorts of viruses and, you, and they put you in the slave trade and you're standing there all bung, but nobody wants... Who, who would buy that? That's what the curse does. It, it, it takes away all semblance of dignity, all semblance of wholeness until you feel absolutely worthless. That's what the devil does. But do you know the great thing? It's these last five words, no one will buy you. Here's the amazing thing. At the cross, Jesus bought you. Isn't that amazing? He bought us with his blood. We were bung. We were all beaten up and hopeless and, and despairing. We were filled with anguish and torment. We couldn't sleep at night. We were having Valium and popping pills and doing all these things. And the enemy laughed at us. Who would look at you? You're mount to nothing. Your, your life is nearly over. You're 50 now. Look at you. You've done nothing. Give up. It's all too hard. And Jesus said, No way. I bought you and I purchased you with my blood. You're a mine. Let me tell you, my friends, that redemption at the cross was completely fulfilled. It's complete. Nathan in the Sorry, uh, Naaman in the Bible, he dipped seven times and he came up and his skin was like a baby. It was a prophetic picture for the church that there was coming a day through the cross that God would do a complete work and that every stain and effect of sin, leprosy is a picture of sin, it would be totally removed. I'm saying to you that when God gets a hold of your life and his redeeming power touches you, there will be not one trace of the effects of sin, sickness, and poverty in your life. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. It's not some cliche. It is a reality from the living God that when you understand his redeeming work and you claim it as your own, there will be no trace of sin in your life. And I loose you now from the effects of that. They walked around Jericho seven times. Remember? Do you remember? On the last day, Jericho is a picture of the curse. It's a cursed city. And the walls went, no, down, 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 down. No trace. 
completely gone. The prophet Elisha lays on the little boy that's dead. You remember the story, 2 Kings 4? He lays on him and he becomes warm. It's a picture of the old covenant, right? Partial healing, partial deliverance. But Elisha's not satisfied with partial and Jesus is not satisfied with partial either. Both of the old covenant, but even partial redemption now. You go, well, you know, Andrew, it's, it's sort of okay. I've, I've sort of got half a job and, you know... You know, one lung works and the other one doesn't. It's sort of okay. I've got a little bit of a limp, a little bit of a sore back. You know, I've only got a couple of sins that are besetting me. No! The redemption was complete. So Elisha lays on the boy again and he sneezes seven times. Seven, the number of a complete work. It was a picture back then that Jesus would come a second time for a second covenant, as it were, and the work would be completed. The blind man, Jesus lays his hands on him and he can see men like trees and so he lays his hands on him again. He can see clearly. It's a picture of redemption. It's, it's work in, in the old covenant was, was as it were like a, a, a partial thing. We saw people healed. We saw God do mighty miracles. But in the new covenant, it is a complete, perfect work. Think about it. A nation delivered out of Egypt, an entire nation free from sickness. Their shoes don't wear out. They're Amanis. Imagine that. Food from heaven. A whole nation with free from sickness. That's what you and I have to live up to and more in the new covenant. The Bible says that it was a covenant of fading glory and we have a far surpassing covenant. Are you getting this? So it tells me in my little, my little brain gray cells are telling me that we as a church have got so much to believe for. Because if Elisha laid on a dead boy and he got warm and he came back and it was total deliverance, he's telling me today that there is so much more for you and I to believe for. Yeah, yeah. Amen. So we have to contend. Say contend. The spirit of Rocky Balboa. It's the contending spirit. Do you remember, in, in, if, I know most of you because you're so holy, have not seen Rocky 1, 2, 3, and 4, and 5, but I have many times. And uh, the thing about Rocky is, is that he never gave up. He contended. I know it was exaggerated. He was beaten to a pulp and he got up again because he knew he was a winner inside. And there's something about contending in the kingdom. And this is what I've, over my years of following Jesus, it's like I'm seeing it afresh all over again about the promises of God because it played with my mind. Jesus, you said, I would lay hands on the sick and they would recover. And I lay hands on the sick and some of them have died. I don't like that promise. I don't understand that you would give me promises and they don't seem to work, that you promised us that these signs would follow those that believe. And I'm a believer and I'm not seeing to the degree that you promised me. And then I began to discover, and I was talking to Karen about this just yesterday, that you don't use a promise, you become the promise. And it's so much, so different. You become a living epistle. That promise, you so take on the inside 
you so nurture it and you so meditate it and you so believe it and you so confess it and live it that all of a sudden you become a living epistle. You don't wield a sword, you become a sword. The Bible says in Mark 4 that it's like a seed that's sown in the ground. Do you remember? The seeds that sow immediately, the sun comes, which is circumstances, and they defy the reality of the seed, and the seed gives up. So in other words, we take a promise that I'm prosperous or a promise that I'm healed, and we go, all right, I'm going I'm to use that. I'm going to pray for someone, and, 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 and it's like everything comes against us. Someone drops dead after we pray for them or we believe for, for, for um, prosperity and we go to the next day and we lose our job. And, and there's contention and war over this thing. And so we've got to keep... Hold. It's not that the promise isn't true. It's that we're not true. We haven't become the promise. The promise is not something I confess, which, which I do, but it's not just that. It's something I become. Are you getting this? It's a living word. His words are spirit and they are life. They become one. We become a living epistle. He, he is the living word. So he wasn't just releasing something like that he'd learned off a book. It, he was releasing what was within him. And as you grab a hold of these promises, all of a sudden they integrate with who you are. The realm of abundant life requires that we ask, seek, and well, start again. Ask, seek, and knock. knock. Ask, seek, and knock. knock. Remember, I've taught you these things that each one of those progressive states requires less of God and more of me. So when I get born again, I ask for salvation. God does all the work, I just ask. When I seek him, there's a transformation of my identity. I'm seeking who he is and who I am. When I'm knocking, I am warring against those things that don't want to lay down and die. I'm contending for things that seem to resist me. There is this thing where I'm growing from a child to a son to a father, where, where I'm not put off by delays or things that contest against me, I understand that in the wrestling, I am becoming the promise, and I'm becoming so strong that all of a sudden, it's like something is released within me, and the walls come down. That seven days, around the thing seven times, they were becoming the promise, so the walls could come down. They go around once, oh, it doesn't work. No, they went around once. All right, we're becoming the promise, go around again, Go around again. Naaman's dipping once, dipping twice. Uh, the prophet sent his servant out to look through the cloud over and over again. What's going on? There's contention and we are becoming something. You understand it? And as we contend collectively, then other people can come into this house and it's like we've created a wow, a breakthrough, an opening in the spirit realm where people can come in and get for free what costs you much. That's what happens. That's how the disciples were able to function under Jesus' anointing because he contended and broke, and broke through something in the, in the wilderness that they were able to enter into. In the outer court, there is, if you measure the dimensions, they are vast. Then you go into the inner court and it's 
So the outer court's 150 feet by 75. The holy place is 30 feet by 15. And the holy of holies is 15 by 15. Every step towards breakthrough and increase in maturity and the anointing flow, there's a constriction in our lives. There's a greater requirement. What we could do in the past, we can't do now. But likewise, as the constriction comes, the source of light changes from natural light, from the light which is in the outer court, and in the holy place, it's a light from the candle, and in the holy of holies, it's the glory of God. So we go from natural ability, then we come into a realm of the anointing of the Spirit, then we go further, and we come into that realm of the glory of God. So naturally in the church, people come, they praise, they go home, nothing's changed. Then we go into another realm where there's the anointing of the Spirit over individuals, and then we pray for people, they get healed. Then there comes another realm where the glory of God rests on a church, and nobody prays for anyone, and they all get healed because God's glory is here. Are you getting this? So we contend for what is ours. And if it's in the Bible, then we have to enforce and proclaim it. So we are to enforce and proclaim what the Lord is saying in this hour. It is so important that we wrestle with the promises, we become the promise, and we continue to proclaim what God is saying. I went through a dark hour last year with personal health battles, and this is what the Lord began to teach me, is to proclaim what God is saying even though it doesn't look good. To not give up. Draw a line in the sand and say, devil, if a fight is what you want, a fight is what you will get. And I have the Holy Ghost inside me who is the one that comes to pull down the curse. And so I declare right now what God is saying to be true. And I tell you what, some days I looked at my phone it's like I was on the, I'm listening to sermons and worship 12 hours a day. I'd get up in the middle of the night because I couldn't sleep. And I contend and contend and contend. And, and my family used to laugh at me because I used to walk around with my AirPods on because you know, it looked like I was being dismissive of anyone. I was fighting a battle over my body and over my mind because the enemy was playing with my mind. And so I just put my AirPods in and, be, and let the word of the Lord wash over me and wash over me. I'd go to sleep with him playing. I'd wake up with him playing. I was contending and proclaiming what God says to be true. And it took a while, but I tell you what, that promise begins to get down inside you. You begin to get a rage in your heart and saying, Satan, you are not going to take me out. And so we can pray for you, but the, here's the issue, and you'll be healed. But there will always come a time whether you're healed or not, that you'll have to contend to hold on because the enemy will come back to see whether you got the miracle from someone else's faith or is it sustained through your faith. Yeah. Declare it. And you say, if you've got cancer today, you say cancer is, not part, is, cancer is part of the curse of the law and God through Jesus has redeemed me from the curse of the law. Amen. You do not belong in my body. Whatever it is in your body that doesn't, doesn't function well, you say, you call the sickness out and you say, whatever it is, mental health issues are listed in Deuteronomy as part of the curse. And Jesus died on the cross to redeem me from the curse. Therefore, you do not belong in my body. I curse right now all anxiety, all fear. And I even sense in my heart today, there are people that are plagued by anxiety and fear. 
I, I began to discover in my times of darkness, it was not what I felt, it's what I believed that made all the difference. And the Holy Spirit had to coach me through that. And he said to me, Andrew, I've drawn a line in the sand. You'll have no more heart conditions after this hour. I said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for that. And I went on my way. And it was only a few more days that the same condition came again. And I immediately in my mind, I said, Lord, you told me that it would never happen again. Can I trust you? He said, yes, I did tell you. So what are you going to do about it? Oh, okay. I get it now. You didn't lie to me. You just told me what was true. And now I need to enforce it. Are you getting this? And so I stood against the devil and I said, my father drew a line in the sand, you lying, stinking demon. And you have no authority to touch my heart. And so you better back off now because I've got a word from the Lord and I'm a dangerous man. And you've just touched me one too many times. And so I come against you. And I had to do that a number of times. But he is defeated. Amen. Amen. And you do the same. It is a battle. We contend. We contend. We contend. We, God works miracles, Galatians 3, 5, by the hearing of faith. So we go back and we hear the word of the Lord and we know that when we're hearing God, God is working. When I'm hearing, God is working. When I'm hearing, God is working. And when these things come against me, I hear the word of the Lord, I proclaim it and say, God, when I'm hearing and proclaiming, you are working in my life. This will be the making of you. And the victories that you win over sickness, over sin, over poverty are not just for you. They have a greater dimension. You will open up a well, not just in your life, but in those around you, in this church, in your family. James says that we look into the word like a mirror. And the reality is that the doctor may have given you a bad report. You may not have much money in the bank. You may be addicted to pornography, whatever it might be. Whatever your issue is that the curse has come against you with. The enemy looks for an error of weakness and he comes against us. James says, well, first I've told you that you need to hear and speak and take authority. But James also says that we are to see ourselves complete in Christ at the same time. So I began to, as I was going through my challenges, began to see myself as God saw me. I began to see my future as God saw me. I began to see myself preaching to multitudes of people, traveling around the world. Because the, the reality was, in my dark hour, fear came upon me. And I had this, this thought, I'll never travel, I'll never leave this country again. Because if I do, I'll be incredibly vulnerable. It didn't make sense, but that wasn't the problem. I'd bought into that. Because... If you know my history, as a young child, I believed that God would send me to the nations and I would travel. And all of a sudden, the enemy said, all that is being dismissed. It's all cancelled. You cannot leave this country because if you do, you will die. So I began to see myself as Christ sees me. I began to see myself traveling in the world. I saw myself complete, victorious, laying hands on the sick. And James says, we look into the word like a mirror. And as we look, and we keep looking, we keep seeing ourselves as God sees us. We get the word, I'm in Christ, I'm complete, I'm free from accusation. I have victory over sin. I'll lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. I am the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. There's a promise of a hundredfold blessing over my life. The, he was a curse for me, so the blessings of Abraham would come upon me. Abraham lived a long life and God blessed him in everything. That is all mine. And as I look into that, 
all of a sudden, the Bible says that mirror, I look into the mirror, I can see nothing. I can just see a whole lot of problems. But the more I look into that mirror, you know what happens? A reflection appears of who I am. And we look into the perfect law of liberty and freedom and all those things that are binding us are broken in Jesus' name. Fear is gone. Bondage is gone because we keep looking at who we are and then we begin to see that's who I am. The Lord begins to remind you, you know what? I've got great plans for your life. They're not cancelled. They're not over. Here's the truth. And so church, I, I want to encourage you today to take a stand against every effect of the curse, whether it's sin, sickness, or poverty. Contend. Declare the word of the Lord. Take authority. Well, how long do I need to do that? Good question. Until the walls come down. And they kept silent as they went around the walls because they didn't want to speak any unbelief. They're getting a revelation of who they are. You keep contending, speaking, looking into the mirror because I'll tell you something, something is taking place. When they walked around those walls, it looked like nothing was happening. But hear, 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 hear what I'm saying today. His words are spirit and they are life. And you need to understand, it's not just hot air. It's not like God saying, well, you know, I'll listen every seventh day or every third day. Every single prayer of faith that you pray as you contend, every moment you look into that mirror, something is shifting in the spirit. I know that. Something is moving. You go, well, I can't see anything moving. I tried it for a week and it didn't move. Don't stop. Keep believing. Keep confessing. Keep pressing in. You are becoming something. This is, there's a bigger picture at play than just your miracle, which is so important. God is positioning you as an overcomer. A child, a son, a father. You don't go from child to father in a day. It's a, there is a progression. You go, but I'm in pain. Will I do it? Well, do it in pain. I had to get up some days, when every, some nights when everyone was asleep and walk round and round in circles. It's like I was going mad, but I kept going, kept pressing in because I knew that victory wasn't far away. You press in. You keep looking at that mirror because you are changing. You are being transformed. God is eternally faithful to his word. Not one promise will fall to the ground. That's the nature of our Father. We are creating something, not just individually, but collectively. It's our, our individual pressing through and contending that as we come together as a body of Christ, things begin to rumble in the spirit. Because I'm sitting next to another woman of faith. I'm sitting next to a man of faith. I go down the back and as I walk down there, I feel that I'm next to men and women of great faith. And every aisle of this building, there's people positioned of great faith that have known how to contend and press through. Why, why is this important? Because it cost Jesus his life at the cross. He contended for us. He took on the curse of sin, sickness and poverty at the cross. He did that so you would be free. And that's worth contending for. If he laid down his life for my freedom, 
I owe it to him to pursue freedom. Well, I don't want a lot of money. Selfish. Selfish. He died on the cross to deliver you from poverty. So you would have so much, you could be a blessing to the nations. You could bless your wife with a new car with flowers, take her out for dinner, spoil her. You could bless your children. You can have so much money, you're not worried about the next bill and you can focus your attention on him. You can be a blessing to your neighbours. You can give into the work of the Lord. That's what he died on the cross for. So the wealth of the wicked would be laid up for the just. He did that. And half the church are saying, I'm going to be, I don't like, I don't like prosperity. He died on the cross for that. So that you'd be free. I think the church needs to get over this whole prosperity thing. It's so, it's just so lame. God wants to bless you to be a blessing. When it comes to sickness, we are not to accept that. He died on the cross. He was wounded. His back was whipped. By his stripes, we were made whole. And I know there's a lot of, a lot of contending and we, we get breakthroughs and it seems like we win one, we lose one. It's worth contending for. And there are mysteries and things I don't understand. I've prayed for people close to me and they have died. And I don't understand it, but it's worth contending for because these promises are there. And it just says to me, I need to become that promise a little bit more. I need to let it come deeper inside me until it's a reality. When I lay hands on the sick, I know they shall recover. For Jesus, not one person he prayed for was sent away, not healed or not delivered. He's our standard and we are in him and he is in us. So church, this day, Receive a fresh impartation of faith. You are redeemed from the curse. You are called to be a curse buster. You are called to undo all the works of the evil one. For this purpose was the Son of God manifest to destroy the works of the evil one. And I declare over you today that you are free. and healed and delivered.